You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Listening to the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by two men who may be <laughs> melting like I am as I sit in the sun in my fucking black jeans like an absolute moron. You're the only one with a sunbeam. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't want me for a sunbeam. You've got a lovely pink t shirt on. Don't though. you think Mark sounded more cheerful there because of his pink t shirt? It's, yeah, no, I, I, think it's, I, think it, I think that's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> I think I wear an item of pink clothing every day, no matter what. Uh, I can't see any, what, so what, I'm guessing what, what's pink today, Dave? <laughs> Apart from today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was wearing pink pants and pink socks yesterday. Wow. And a pink jumper the day before, so I just love wearing pink, it's great. Um, I do like the idea as well that you just are one of these people that's so on the cusp of fashion that mm-hmm. as Mark changes his wardrobe to emulate you, you move on. To yeah, that's what, what the, <laughs> this is the day where I've given up pink because Mark like, is now following pink me. Pink as of Mark. Oh, I wouldn't gee, that's that. so passe, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hell. April. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Mark's wearing pink, I'm wearing white, Dave's wearing grey. Uh, straight ahead of me is Super Potato. Yeah. Uh, what is that t-shirt? The greatest shop I've ever been in. Uh, Super Potato in Akihabara in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, three floors of retro video games. And it honestly took a good 25 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> in the good way. Uh, yeah, I just regressed and was just delirious. It was amazing. There's so no shame I, in I that. bought multiple shirts in that. But it, it, I mean, it's the least sexy t-shirt. A man of my age could possibly wear. <laughs> You've not seen the back. Do you want to see the back? I'd love to see the back. This says so. It's go just to, got a very smiley cartoon potato with legs and, on, and it says "Super Potato" on it. Get your wonder soft world. It, the language barrier. I love that. That's yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a great shop. If you're ever in Tokyo, you should go to Akihabara. Um, that's probably not how you pronounce it. <laughs> Emphasis all in the wrong places, but it was an absolute wonderland. Uh, so, what album are we doing today, lads? Did you already introduce David? If Kalila is listening, do you think that she'll know who David and Christopher are? <laughs> well, I, maybe I, by I, the end of the I episode. Mean, I, I, I don't mean to like show my hand, but I really hope Kalila's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing this week, David? Hey, we're doing Kalila and Cut For Me. Which I brought to the table because I knew it would divide, probably. <laughs> I was just really interested to see uh, what you boys thought of this, especially Chris, because it lives in the dark ages, really. I bet you're really interested to know what I think of this. Uh, I mean, he's a man known for his heavy acoustic-based tones, or, you know, electric-based, but not synthesised. I set a new record. Uh-huh. Shortest amount of notes I've, yeah, that's impressive. I've, I've ever been able to compile. Written on yeah, his hand, entirely on one hand. <laughs> one and a third pages of strictly background notes kind of aided somewhat by the fact that this has released one mixtape one EP and one album Yeah, and there is maybe a suggestion that we're jumping the gun by assuming that she's uh, a stage where she could get into a classic album status but uh-huh. I guess you'll argue that case well I think she's a really interesting artist so this is a mixtape. So this is our debut mixtape. Always, um, always a sign that trouble's brewing for me when you tell me it's a mixtape. Well, no, the last no. time was Death Grips. So, I mean, that flew into that, the that works discography. Yeah, yeah. So this came out in 2013. Can I, can I say, you pitched this to me as extremely heavy. And you, you said when you saw her live, it was one of the heaviest things you'd seen. It was. 
truly, because like the bass is unbelievable. Are we not just confused sonically? Loud with heavy there? Mm, no, because I mean, no. Are you just have a different um, view of what heavy means? Clearly, I think it means. I think yeah. I, I think yours meaning loud, and I think I'm meaning heavy. <laughs> no, there you can be heavy with beats. You can be really heavy. I mean, of with course, beats. you can be heavy with beats, but I mean, like tonally, there's nothing heavy about it. It's like you just haven't listened to it loud enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, definitely show me down in flames. I guess it's the presum- It's a bit of the presumption that uh, loud distorted guitars and you I'm know, not talking fast, about- fast heavy drums equates to heavy. Well, right? hang on, Portishead. Third is heavy. You think so? And mood. Mm, absolutely. Some of it is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And mood, it's really fucking heavy. It's really dark. This isn't that. Uh, sun close. are heavy. Sun but are, you couldn't, sun you are can't heavy. listen to that quietly. Heavy and loud. It's not heavy quietly. Sun is only heavy if you have it up loud. There's no point in listening to sun No, I mean, quietly. I think sun tonally is still pretty heavy. Mm. See this whole thing as well about trying to discern between whether or not I can or can't deal with heavy or any of us can or can't deal with heavy um, yeah. this week. I think I mentioned to you guys that I went to a show um, on Saturday night, mm-hmm. uh, a Polish black metal band called mm-hmm. Sturmtiger. Yeah, sounded I interesting. Was immediately filled with dread as to what I may encounter. And I'm still, you know, a little un- uh, uncertain. It was an interesting night. It was interesting that during their set when they were wearing, like singers wearing a balaclava and two other guys at the front were wearing gas masks uh, and there's kind of like a very angry intense looking metal crowd and somebody whipped out like a three meter long anaconda and it really like separated the wheat from the chaff of mm. who was actually a big fairy and, and you mean <laughs> like a, a real snake yeah a legit giant snake um, a girl who'd been at the show who was the in between band entertainment she was doing like acrobatic pole dance and stuff mm-hmm. apparently this is what goes on at these shows I was I was something of an intruder uh, I didn't really know that many people there I was just sort of curious and kind of roughly knew a couple of people who'd suggested I go especially because they knew we'd done the podcast their friends saw me at the show short back in sides you know what I look like mm-hmm. and um were coming up to me especially when one of the support bands was on the support band was wearing corpse paint and they're like giving it the whole kind of yeah, yeah, bah, yeah, bah, bah. Mm-hmm. and the guy the guy came up to me very very earnestly was like by the way man by the way don't worry man I like seriously I know they I know they look like they're like <laughs> really fucking bad guys man but it's mm-hmm. just paint man it's just paint <laughs> it's just like they're good guys, man. See, when they're off the stage, they're actually really all right guys, man. I know it doesn't look like that, though, so just didn't worry, though. Didn't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Well, it's nice that they cared about yours. Oh, well, interesting. You like, they're, they're looking out for you, you know? It is good, though, that they think that putting on that paint is actually scary mm. <laughs> as opposed to just funny. Okay, yeah. But, hey, it clearly shows that some of them are sincere about it. So... I'm glad you weren't scared. That's an interesting name for a band. <laughs> what? Strumtiger, Strum, 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 and yeah, I don't think they better. I was waiting for them to do something. I have to admit, there was like a little bit of me holding my breath. Um, maybe that's the fear that was in my eyes when that guy looked at me. I was like, oh, oh please don't see Gail. Um, <laughs> but there was there was nothing like that. And I certainly, there was no hint of that in the audience and no hint of that in the people around. Um, the Lord of Logos was there. Um, Christoph, I can't pronounce his second name. Uh-huh. Very talented. Like Sprudel, Sprudel, something like that. Uh, very, very talented man. His logos for all the many, many bands that he's designed for were uh, all over the walls and it was fascinating. It was really cool in between bands, cruising the walls and seeing all those different things. I didn't actually know he'd done a logo for Mastodon right way back as well. That's anyway, cool. sorry awesome. to, to derail, but just... Well, that's fine. From black metal to actual black music. I mean, it's interesting. I think I chose this record because... I'm very aware that we are three white men talking about white men music quite a lot. So this is your post-colonial choice? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, in terms (laughs) of um, contemporary music right now, I think the female black voice is as interesting a voice as there is out there. So just to be sure, this has been picked on the basis of merit and not as an affirmative action. Yeah. Good. That's that's good because what we don't want to do is start patronising people. No, no, no. 
Um, but you look at the most interesting pop stars right now are, you know, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj compared to like the fucking whiter than white Taylor Swift, etc. Cardi B and Nicki Minaj are not interesting. No, they are interesting compared to Taylor Swift and Katy Perry. So like I'm talking about mainstream yeah. as fuck. And Cardi and Cardi uh, Then you look at like uh hey, her new album's out <laughs> and some of it bangs, Chris. <laughs> uh, did she not drop a tune the same day as Slipknot? Uh yeah, yep. I played them both album, on yeah. uh, on Saturday night actually. <laughs> Big day for you. Um yeah, I like I, knew, I know you say you don't like it. I don't know it's about Daria Lynn, but I actually really like your Slipknot song. Oh, I don't mind it actually. It's like Big chorus, but um, you look at something like uh, Beyonce's Lemonade is an actual interesting piece of work for such a mainstream artist. She's chronic, but Um, you know, but compare her to like other huge people like Ed Sheeran and Adele. She is doing something slightly more challenging. Uh, I think it's just a brand is pitched as slightly more challenging. um, But then like in the less mainstream work, over the last like three or four years, the stuff that I consistently find most interesting is R&B and rap and hip hop and electronic stuff that is through a black music spectrum. There's stuff like Princess Nokia, SZA. My man is my man is your man, her that's her man. Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, I just keep him satisfied Nash, Terza, just fucking amazing stuff coming out all the time. And Kalila, six years ago, kind of put in a little blueprint for what was going to come. And I think she inspired a lot of people. And I think she also encapsulated a movement in sparse R&B and then also like that dark electro... Involved some really interesting collaborators uh, on this record. That's why I chose this over her actual her album that came out a few years later. Um, Even on the periphery of that, just while you're on that subject, I do think that, albeit I'm somewhat skeptical as to how unsteered their careers are. People like FKA Twigs and Solange are a lot more interesting than in a lot of the names you mentioned earlier. Uh, but I mean, they are two that I would definitely put in that bracket. I think they're both amazing. Okay, I don't think either of them's amazing, but I do think they're definitely much more interesting. And that's, yeah, I, I get that. And I get a lot of this, that's in the orbit of this record and yeah, that's yeah, in the yeah. orbit of a lot of this music. So as someone that's not au okay with any of the artists you just mentioned, mm-hmm. apologies, but um, what is it you find more engaging about them than a lot of the other stuff you've been listening to? Uh, I don't know. I just find you listen to a new fucking Mastodon record, you know, a band that I used to love, or you listen to any of these metal bands, indie bands, and you're just getting a sort of recycled sound or I just always feel let down by bands that I used to listen to or they're, they're just not doing anything particularly exciting sonically. It's very rare that a new rock band is moving me right now. Whereas the mixture of electronic producers, which is like just absolutely blowing up, you know, you know, due to technology, people are just finding it way easier to fuck about with professional sounding things in their bedroom and then a proliferation of interesting female black voices as well there's just a crazy diversity you know there's like party albums there's sexy albums there's um dark and grimy albums i i don't know i'm just finding it a much more fertile scene it takes a lot for a heavy album to really excite me now um i think i've like two comments on that one i do agree in terms of i think there's a bit of a lack of inspiration in a lot of the kind of more established rock and even some of the electronic stuff if it's a wee bit tepid just now mm-hmm. although i do think there's a trend within that that is also consistent with the genre that Kalela works in which is that you've got much the same formula going on but just the production is vastly more interesting than it was before. And I think that can be said of electronic stuff and rock stuff as well. But I don't always see a huge difference in terms of the songwriting or the approach and the structure of the music with stuff in and around Kalila's sound. I think the main difference is the technology lying behind it. Mm-hmm. To that end, I'll we'll come to something after. I just want to make one other point, but uh, I've prepared like a little featurette Oh yeah. To analyze that. And what I wanted to say was, I think 
as far as I can tell, and I'm uh, clearly this is me out of my lane, uh, and I'm not an expert on this subject, but black women have always been at the forefront. Uh, certainly for the like in my lifetime, but it seems like going back through like sixties and seventies as well. You know, like um, Donna Summer as well, like involved yeah. in one of the most cutting edge electronic tracks of all time, and. Um, I kind of started browsing back through maybe the lesser heard works of a lot of like black female artists. Mm. And it is pretty stunning how they're often reduced to just their most common singles. Oh yeah. Do you know what? Like even stuff like, like Aretha Franklin, who's like obviously a classic, huge, you know, voice known for her big famous, you know, standards Mm. has some like really interesting weird work that she did in like the 70s and 80s like a lot of these artists so i'm I'm, what i'm what i'm basically getting at is i have no doubt that you're sincere in your belief that uh black electronic r&b hip-hop grime kind of crossover material is some Mm. some of the most interesting and inventive uh currently but i think to some extent that's probably been the case uh for a lot of the time we've just maybe not been as immersed in those genres at that time. So I'm just trying to tailor this for people who are maybe slightly older and saying, hey man, that's that's not news. That's maybe, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we were listening to a lot of emo, we were listening to punk and grunge and stuff when yeah. these other artists were doing stuff that was also quite innovative. Yeah, yeah, I'd happily accept um, that. Um, I think one of the reasons that perhaps like a lot of these artists kind of feel as though they are pushing the boundaries a little bit more is because in the mainstream for a long, long time, a lot of black music has kind of fallen back on the old, well-known, well-established tropes. Yeah. So yeah, when yeah. something like this comes out, it's like, you know, you start to see more artists trying who are trying to be more innovative and more interesting because they're trying to subvert the things which made them popular. Like, it's clear that Khalila's an R&B singer and she still has a lot of R&B style Aaliyah almost, like vocals, but she's doing something completely different. It's yeah, like as well, subverting yeah. that, like, expectation. Yeah, yeah, this ex- isn't exactly like a, is. this isn't an album mm. about love and relationships or, you know, brokenhearted or whatever. It's about, you know, being lonely and it's, it's about... It's really creepy as well, Being man. old or getting older and it's about, you know, maybe, getting fucked up and getting high when you're in your late 20s and stuff like maybe that. Maybe, though, it's not so much maybe the truth lies somewhere in between. It's not so much that the artists fall back on tropes. It's maybe that mainstream culture as in the wider culture, which is predominantly not black in mm-hmm. a lot of these cases sort of is like, yeah, that's very nice, but look, what we want from you is this, which is what we expect from mm-hmm. you. In yeah, the, certainly. In the, in the same way as what we want from you, Taylor Swift, is such and such, which is yeah. what we expect of you as a young white woman. And certainly and we'll ca- only consume what it thinks yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. So commercial pressures then mean that the stuff of theirs that succeeds is the stuff that's yeah. most conformist. Or indeed, maybe they then say, well, I can't make money if I'm not going to sell some records. So maybe there's a kind of convergence of those interests. Where, yeah, you know, and then, but what's interesting is I think that this record and then afterwards you can then see this alternative non-stereotyped voice having more uh you know reach and you can see a stronger you know I, I can just see a lot more music coming out that isn't going back to those tropes so it draws a good parallel between what Danny Brown has done on Atrocity Exhibition as well and I think yeah. he's announced he's got a new record coming out this year hasn't yeah, he yeah yeah um like he's pushed through that whole like making the, the stereotypical you know black rapper music mm-hmm. even though it was a bit strange and to like fully embracing the strangeness and all those weird disparate influences that he's obviously had throughout his career musically aye, but musically yeah uh-huh. thematically not at all no but then but when you look at like festival lineups especially in, in like London and then also Primavera and some of the more interesting ones in America you can see that the lineups are filling up with interesting black female voices. Some of them. Weren't I mean, there. No, like things like All Points East, things like Wireless, there's other ones. Yeah, but and as like, Mark, these are Mark, big festivals. Mark used the phrase pitchfork hip hop. There are festivals that market themselves and see their audiences. And mm. rightly so, in the same way as clothing brands do, there's festivals that see their demographic and they book accordingly. This no, is, but this if is, you go to these festivals that they're full of teenagers and these teenagers aren't reading pitchfork, they're also full of people like me who are in Hipsters. their 30s and getting into it. Yeah, but every- But the, th- the festivals and you go to the gigs are full of teenagers who 10 years ago wouldn't have got into but this. why do you think teenagers- But they're not the ones that are reading Pitchfork. They are actually the fans that are going and buying the tickets. I have a thought on that. I think yeah, a lot of a lot of the a lot of that is probably when it comes to younger generation, probably comes back to SoundCloud rap, which I know is a totally weird thing to say. But a lot of the beats that a lot of the SoundCloud rappers are doing end up becoming 
this stuff yeah, yeah totally so yeah. as younger people maybe it's not Pitchfork for them but it's definitely coming from somewhere I, well, which I, is like because Pitchfork don't fucking cover SoundCloud rap not at all man it's like not cool enough for them I, I don't think that's wrong at all what you're saying but I think Pitchfork's not a trendsetter it follows trends and the trends pop up online and the trends pop up amongst this young crew you're talking about but there's no denying Kalela is not a Radio 1 roadshow artist she is, yeah. she's a Pitchforky artist and that, that's this is much of a brand. she's a Pitchforky artist but she's also there's like two crowds here there's the hipster 32 year old going to see it because they've learned about it but then there's also that 18 year old who's just grown up and got this directly and organically and aren't doing it because they got it off Pitchfork Public they're doing list, it to be honest as well yeah exactly because they'll find it on a playlist or they found it on SoundCloud and I think that's like the connection there yeah but I mean young people are setting the tone and then older people maybe unwittingly or somewhat are consuming it because consuming they want to be cool it. yeah exactly it's the same thing as but they're also consuming it because it's good yeah but it well that, that's just subjective but it's it's just it's the same trend that's been repeated for years and years and years slightly older generations getting into this new edgy music like mm. punk nirvana fucking metal whatever you want it's like that's just a kind of mat like the, the younger generation sets this new thing in motion the media latches on it and then old fogies like us and yeah. musically yeah. speaking but what but, I'm, yeah. my, my only point was i was saying that i believe that the majority of the crowd f- f- of this type of music is the younger crowd and it's not defined by Pitchfork. Pitchfork are just the one that has the voice, and that hipster crowd is the one that. I mean, I th- the consumers are. Yeah, I, mean, I think with most, as with most things, there's probably an element of A and B. It. I think you're probably yeah, right. You're yeah, probably right to yeah. some extent, but I think that's the feed of each other. Thing, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I do think a lot of that is dependent on our narrow perspective and narrow experience. I think it's probably been at play for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably right, man. And we're obviously always at danger using Pitchfork in a pejorative kind of way. Mm. But I think it's, it's I'm also, definitely using it a pejorative kind of way. <laughs> I, th- I think it's good that we can that the Pitchfork are picking up on this artist on these kind of artists. Though, do you know what I mean? And I'm bringing them into like the hipster sphere because it's it's about democratization of, of this kind of music, which is just didn't exist ten years ago. It's good. Yeah, to like, ha- it's good to have like that. ten years ago, indie festivals was full of Modest Mouse and uh, Arcade Fire. Uh, now indie festivals have black women and rap artists and things like that. It's all a weird organic feeding frenzy uh, that's happening. And I, I mean, I, there's obviously been an issue about underrepresentation for women on festivals, so stop. But I think we have to be careful when we make broad statements like that because you're at risk of negating the, the black musicians that were taking part in those festivals who are maybe like have been out there doing it mm-hmm. and saying that they just weren't there. That can be. Oh, no, I'm not saying that they weren't there. I'm saying that they weren't getting booked and that there wasn't a hipster appeal to them, that they were niche audiences. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's a wee bit of a broad statement. I get your your core point. I just think you have to kind of tread carefully there. I've got nimble shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of nimble shoes, I believe uh, there was something you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> yes, actually, as it happens. So... I had an idea and I was thinking about that and I don't think we disagree on this, I, mm-hmm. but what I thought would be quite fun is some of the stuff that I'd been filtering back through, I heard little moments of it. I was like, fucking mm-hmm. hell, wow, that's really either way ahead of its time or that's really retro. Yeah. It's really hard to place that. So I encourage you guys and the audience to take part in a little test. Uh-huh. I'll make it as quick as I can, but I think it'll be good fun. And I want people to keep their score and then post it to let us know your score and be honest there's no point fucking lying about it because if so why are you even doing this yeah yeah okay yeah. i've got eight tiny little clips of music mm-hmm. i'm gonna play them and i want you guys to guess the year okay right. for the number of years that you're out you're gonna get that po- that many points and the person with the lowest score wins so if the song is 2000 and you guess 2015 you, yeah, get, you 15 get 15 points, points. okay so, oh yeah so lowest score wins yeah that's yeah right. low score wins i'm gonna play these one at a time we'll do it for the listeners as well uh-huh. keep your own score yeah all right ready mm-hmm I'm going to say two. Th- I'm going to say 2000 and 
one. Two thousand and one. I was going to say two thousand and ten. Two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. The answer was nineteen ninety eight. Huh? Three mm-hmm. points for yeah. me. Nice. Three for David. Uh, sorry, Mark. I was uh, just thinking about the flow as well, which is probably not the way you want me to think about that it. That was uh, Queen Latifah with La Femme Marquita, then a song called Parley from Order in the Court Great. from 1998. Um, yeah, it's got big deep synth, but then the drum beat was kind of like that garagey yeah, type yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the drum beat dated that one a wee bit. Um, it's actually, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm stating the obvious here that's actually a really pretty interesting record yeah um okay number two ready mm-hmm. when i step out i'm killing it my hair yeah this that brazilian shit young miami they feeling this raw or rubber i hit a lick qc record label when it's bitch my roadie got the whole room lit guys that's recent the flow the trap beat all of that I think that came from this year, and I think it was City Girls. <laughs> Mark? I was going to say 2016. 2016. Mm. So it was 20, it, 2019. 2018. Was it last year? It was 2018. So David, okay. you're one, one year point. out. Mark, you're two, two. years out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, City Girls Swerve from the album Girl Code, which is a fucking state, but, you know, that's just my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> and next up. Uh, if you know what this one is, then you're better men than I think you are. Some of these I've tried to pick to throw you on and off. I'm, so. hmm. I'm gonna say t- 2009. I'm gonna say 2005. Uh, the answer is 1999. Oh damn it! Ah. Ten points. That was guess who that was? I've no idea. Raven Simone. I've never even heard of her. The actress Raven Simone. No idea. Oh, you guys need to go and look that up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, 90s legend for any young males or. Older males now, I guess. <laughs> uh, the song was Bounce from the album Undeniable 1989. I might check that out, though. I feel like there might be a small dance in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dokie. Cl- classic. Next, funny man jam. Yeah. Next one. Definitely hear parts of that on Kalela, like that bow wow, bow wow. That's actually why I picked it back. But I dubstepy drum beat. I okay, like the same kind of sample, like sample sound. Does that make sense? Like the actual the hats and the snare sound. There's like a bit mid to late two thousands. Choose a year. Two thousand and eight. I'm going early because I think it also sounds like it sounds like. Who was, uh, what band was Beyonce in? Destiny's Child. It's kind of got a Destiny's Child or TLC vibe to it, so I'm going to say 2000. You seen 2000? Yeah. The answer was 1999. Oh, wow. Fucking yes. That was TLC. Was it TLC? Was TLC? Yeah. Oh, well, that's why it's got a TLC the, vibe in it. Yeah. The, track, the track Silly Ho from the album Fan Mail, 99. Great. The, Fan the, Mail? Oh, man. The, the reason I picked that as well is because I was like, it does sound much newer than yeah. it is. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. kind of like, like I said, try to illustrate that point. Uh, some of this stuff is like, fucking hell, that's yeah. from way back. That was then. a big album though. That was the one that had Waterfalls or whatever. No, not Waterfalls. The one that, the big TLC song. No Scrubs. <laughs> no Scrubs, yeah. Okie doke. I'm rubbish at this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you know who that is? I think so. Do you? Who do you think it is? It sounded like a girl band. I thought it sounded like a bit like Dasa. Oh no, I was going to say it sounded like, uh, it sounded like a dank Girls Aloud. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a year? 
2003 2004 2003 No fucking idea man I thought it sounded a bit like Daisha But she's I can't remember anything in the horse That sounds anything like that But the voice reminded me So maybe I'm just Going off on the wrong tangent Here entirely Um, Take a swing Probably say 2017 Mm, Interesting Uh, The answer was 2002 Oh Fucking Is that another one pointer? That was Sugar Babes. Sugar Babes! Oh, oh, it truly was a dank fucking <laughs> Girls Aloud. Uh, the tunes just don't need this from the album Angels with Dirty Faces. Yes, um, anything. There's a couple of bangers on that album. They've got, the, uh, I think that was the one with the Gary Newman cover. What's that? Dun, dun, yep. dun. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yep. Um, ready? Mm hmm. No, 2014. 2014, you say? Hmm. Random guess. I don't even. I'm... David? I'm going to say 2018. 2018, yeah. David's saying. The answer is 2018. Yeah, because that was Kalela. That was Kalela. Yep. That was. But I think it was. Yeah, it's, is it, it's off the remix record, isn't it? Waiting uh, the Kitranada yeah. remix from yeah. Didn't listen to the remix record remixes. Remix record is pretty good, actually. Yep. So okay. Zero uh, I hope that that one caught out some of the listeners, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and number seven. I'm saying 1993. 1993? Yeah. Okay, David? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure that was MIA or MIA, wasn't it? So, 2011? Okay, the answer was 2007. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it was MIA, wasn't it? It was MIA with the track Jimmy from Kala. Another one that I hope threw out some of the people that were listening. Last one. You got to you got to Puerto Rico told me to call him Chico. Picking up in a Nico, my ego got really Negro. Throw the hip, throw the zebo. Don't want my dice and see low. Making him scream and moan. Send him back home. Boy, is it really worth it? Just to get dirty, dirty. Give me the nickel, nickel. I don't know what that is. It sounded like Missy Elliott. I think it might be Missy Elliott. Or it could be fucking. She's on that run as Joe's track. But even if it is Missy Elliott, it could be. Fucking anything. Because mm. uh, it was in Three Six Mafia, maybe? It didn't sound like Timbaland production. I'll guess say. <laughs> He's trying to read my expression. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm trying to Darren Brown you. <laughs> uh, 2002. Mark? 2001. The answer is 2001. Oh, you got yeah. one. Uh, Missy Elliott, the track Scream, aka Itchin from Missy e, So Addictive. Yeah. Here we go. And I think, like, some of those, like, especially the MIA one, because obviously Dave knows who that is, but Mark, you weren't familiar with the mm-hmm. song, and it does sound way, way older than it actually is. Yeah. And um, I mean, it sounded like it was from the 70s. Yeah. Really. And obviously, deliberately so, but in terms of some of the other ones, like, for example, the TLC one, mm-hmm. which sounds much newer than it actually is. And I yeah. think. So I'm what I'm trying to like kind of isolate whether or not there is a danger of us falling out the trap of thinking this colour woman at the forefront of music thing or, or pushing certain boundaries is not exactly a new phenomenon. It's maybe something that we've just been somewhat oblivious to mm-hmm. with our investment in Mashuga. Yeah, uh, at the you know. so invested. <laughs> so invested. <laughs> I was listening to Chaosphere today. You know, that's... you know who else has invested in Mashuga? Brewdog. Uh, oh, I know that's sad, isn't it? Yeah, you have them in their new advert. Everything, um, everything gets sullied by corporate interests at some point. Yeah, no, yeah. that's true. But apart um, from Christopher Cusack, he will me, never I bow am, to the corporate dollar. Actually, immune. Um, actually, immune. But yeah, so that's that sound if, you got. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm having an. He gets on- them for free. You know? <laughs> he gets sent them. I'm having an ongoing spat with Adidas and the poor quality of their shoes. So I'm in no danger of <laughs> getting any kind of endorsement anytime soon. Um, so yeah, if you listened to that and you kept your score, which I hope you did. Put it under the post on the Facebook, maybe, uh-huh. or tweet it to us. Mark, what was your total score? I don't know, but it was a sub count. <laughs> <laughs> it was embarrassing. There was a lot of tens. <laughs> I got 21 points. That's a handsome total. You got oh, some of them dead bad. on or within one or two. I think most people will probably end up with a total of about 35, something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm guessing the average is going to be about maybe four or five out for each song. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that there is some really innovative stuff. And okay, I also take on board that a lot of that is a reflection on the producers mm-hmm. uh, every bit as much if not more than some of the singers mm-hmm. you know that's just yeah. an unavoidable aspect of the genre yeah. as it stands currently Sorry to interrupt your uh, listening pleasure. It's uh, David here. It's summertime. Uh, the weather is hot. The weather is hot. <laughs> uh, I've realised I've only got one pair of shorts. Oh man, just a nightmare for me because I basically wear shorts from Easter till October. If I had to draw you, I would draw you in shorts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got like three pairs of swimming shorts, but I've only got one pair of actual shorts that I can wear out. It's like your only pair of shorts you've had like this year. Yeah. So you've just worn them every day. For they the, just get the, washed every weekend, and I'll just—I don't. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> does, does your does your, your fiance know this? <laughs> <laughs> so to help my uh, cleanliness, um, <laughs> but also to help us fund things like cables and wires and headphone amps, web hosting and headphone amps—that would be much appreciated. We're going to try and branch out into a bit of video content soon. Um, we could really use a wee bit of investment from that. So if you do fancy the idea of seeing our faces, God, why would um, you want to do that? Then uh, it would be much appreciated uh, if you could stick something on the PayPal. Yeah, you can go to unsungpod.net/slash/donate, and it's really easy. You can just use PayPal or. Uh, and you also get access to bonus content. We do actually have bonus content. Yeah, we may not have made that clear enough, but people that give us any amount of money will get little extra episodes that are actually quite fun to do. Guaranteed 50% more hilarious. Yeah. Guaranteed, yeah. Not 50% more drunk yet, but I mean, no. one step at a time. If we get some money, we can probably afford to buy booze to get drunk yeah, on the exactly. record. exactly, I know. <laughs> it's been a while since we did a drunk record. It has been a long time. <laughs> right, fucking giz money you can't <laughs> bye I can't say uh, as regards Kalela mm-hmm the reason I have one and a third pages of notes is because I find the music deeply unremarkable. Yeah. I, I do think the production is very impressive. You can hear some very sophisticated techniques involved. Yeah. Same with the album and the EP. Is it Hallucinogen EP in 2005? Yeah. 2015, sorry. And it's very, very cleverly put together and very capably zeitgeisty. Uh, but the underlying writing and song structure is so, so totally unaffecting for, for a listener such as myself. I, I, it's, it's different because it's not, I really like it in terms of the production from an electronic perspective in as much as that it's not really songwriting. It's more like putting together a track. Is that different? I don't know. Is putting together a track different to songwriting? Well, yeah. It take, I mean, it takes some kind of songwriting mouse to do that, right? Yeah. I think Take Me Apart, the record definitely it's, has more songs on it. Definitely. I think I think you've picked the wrong one. No, no that's fair. And I was I really wanted to talk about Kalela because I think she's really interesting. What we've talked about today, I think I've really enjoyed it and I wanted to talk about it. And I do really like Take Me Apart. I suppose the thing that made me choose Cut For Me is I understand that it's sparse, but that's what I like about it. Well, um, it was it was her singing over 
tracks that had been produced by people on a couple of labels. It was um, Fade to Mind and uh, Night Slugs, the, the mm-hmm. UK label. So basically producers had made these tracks and then she added vocals to them. So in, in that sense, there's not a typical songwriting approach to it. Yeah. Um, but I think with some tracks in particular, it really, really doesn't work. Like you've got a very cleverly produced song and then an utterly forgettable sort of lack of hookiness or interplay between the vocals and the tracks themselves. And I think that's not so much the case on the album because in the album it's more of a, a, a unison project where the songwriting and the vocals are more intertwined mm-hmm. and therefore there's a bit more accommodation either way. Yeah. This one does feel to me like it's been superimposed, which it has. Yeah. They openly say that. In saying that, one, one thing I'm quite mindful of when we're doing an album that I feel really underqualified to comment on is looking at the sort of contemporary reaction um, this was very highly spoken of by, in a lot of circles uh, mm-hmm. called the future of R&B by some Pitchfork said it was aesthetically ambitious which I, I can't really argue with uh, New York Times compared to Aaliyah which you did Mark earlier mm-hmm. on well like Stereo Gum says it's a tricky dance that Colella and her collaborators do here they offer up these gorgeous of the moment sounds but they also generally stay the hell out of Colella's way she takes these tracks which are often so cold and so sparse and finds a way to give them emotional resonance and turns them into actual songs. And that's, I suppose that's the bit that you disagree with. You don't think that she yeah, I'm, finds I'm that. Not, I'm not sure that that succeeds. I mean, do, do, do you, uh, you want to surf the, the tracks themselves just a little bit? Yeah, we can do. Yeah, like the first one, Guns and Synths. Uh, but I can add, by the way, I'd first listened to this again on my totally non-subscription Spotify and so I heard it in a randomised order oh yeah and a bit as happened uh, previously mm-hmm. I heard what I think are two of the best tracks within the first three and yeah. I was like oh maybe I'm gonna be quite into this Guns and Synths was one of them I thought it was pretty decent I heard it I think I heard it I heard it third It's got like a sort of gentle intro, but then that bass comes in, but it's still paired back. You've got Clara's voice. It's quite an open introduction to her. The Like the vocals are fairly ambiguous. You know, it's not about fucking relationships or love or any of this shit. Yeah, it's, it's nice. I mean, I think also just in terms of feel, this track was a lot more alternative and a lot less sort of R&B, grime, hip hop. It, mm-hmm. it felt a lot less pigeonholed and it, it reminded me of some of the the ways in which I got into Santa Gold because whilst that was definitely coming from a lot of those places, it was packaged in a way that I felt was a lot better at avoiding niches and a lot of pigeonholing. Uh, I, I like that about it. I can't say it like massively resonated with me, but I did appreciate that there was something not too obvious about the approach to it. I think the, 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 the approach of sticking the vocals over the songs though really started to show by the uh, second track, uh, Enemy. I think is awful like tuneless mm, I don't know I think it builds and builds and it's the blips and bloops really work I, I like I, it I, I might say that it's like forgettable but I found it annoyingly forgettable I think it's, it's like it's, it's like something rattling about inside a dustbin it's just completely devoid of any sort of real emotional connection I thought I liked the, I liked the melody in it I liked how empty and dark it felt yeah it was um, empty being the word though it's just her singing a kind of pretty yeah, unremarkable I, see I, do you know what I've, I've I kind of found it difficult to go through every track and have something different to say about it. But like, I think that's kind of the whole point of the album because it kind of works as a whole in that it's also stripped back. Unless you hear the little keyboard melody or the little production glitch or the the big sub on that track that's slightly different to that track. I think every track is slightly different and builds and works in its own way. And I think overall the album works in a weird empty way and I think the emptiness is good and that's what I really like the album that came after I think it's got better songs and I think she'll go on to do really interesting things but there's something about this record I don't know if it's like I think it kind of defines that weird emptiness of I don't know being fucking 30 and living in this shitey world where like not everything needs to have like a deep meaning to it because we're all I don't know 
there's a there's a weird nihilism to it that I connected to maybe, um, and that's kind of why I chose it. I recognise that it's maybe not as rounded and good an album and it doesn't have the songs, but I think overall it sort of defines something a bit more for me than a more polished album of songs that she then does later. And I also I think it's really interesting that you can go off and find each producer and see what they've done because they all do really interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I don't for a minute dispute that you enjoyed what you were hearing, but mm-hmm. I do think there's a lot of projection involved in that when you consider the, pro- the process by which the album was created. You know, it, it, it was backing tracks that she was given. Yeah, it, it, wa- she, it wasn't some deep strip she, she, she chose those tracks and she went out and looked for those producers. She, no, no, it's I, not like... I, I, I'm not, I don't mean it from that perspective. What I mean is the completeness of the artistic statement like the the mood of the music wasn't expressing what she was trying to. There wasn't some yeah, but pre- also what this is concept is behind what it, this it? is is an experiment, and she's experimenting with different producers. And I feel it is it, it's not an album in that it feels like it's unfinished because she's finding her voice and she's putting together you know thirteen tracks, and then the deluxe version has like eighteen tracks on it. Yeah, and you know, some of these will stick, some of these will miss. But what I really enjoyed is looking and seeing this experiment happen. And Yeah, I mean, you know, okay, allow me to phrase that better. What I'm saying is that there's no considered emotional content before these tracks were created. Somebody somewhere else created some music that they thought sounded pretty good, mm-hmm. gave it to somebody who then was like, right, cool, that's what I wanted, who then did something over the top of it as an interpretation of that. So the notion of there being one cohesive emotional whole isn't really applicable. Well, we're, yeah, we're, we're projecting that unity on it. Like it's just, it's a nice experiment. I get that. And some of the results work and some of the results maybe don't work. Mm-hmm. But in terms of investing it with any great preconceived sort of theme or temperature in each song, it's just not there. It's just a, it's just a, it's, it's a project. It's not a, a real considered ground up, artistic work in that sense and I'm not saying that makes it bad or I'm not saying it doesn't make it good to listen to I'm just saying that we have to I think it's tempting to try and inject all these elements of emotional significance or otherwise into it that really aren't there I think it's really interesting that she's managed to get a somewhat cohesive sound out of various different tracks that were basically crowdsourced for producers that she's asked for it sounds like it's a it's all gonna go and it's all kind of going towards the same thing. All the tracks carry a similar sound, which I think is must have been quite hard to do when you're talking to like five or six different people and ask them, Can you do a thing for me? A lot of different people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the third one is a floor show, really reminded me of somebody sort of trying to approximate FKA twigs. there was a fair bit of that in it um, and that side of it kind of put me off it was almost like they were like testing the temperature of a lot of different water to see what was you know the most hospitable I, I don't really know how I feel about that well I mean FKA Twigs came out around a year after this so it'd be weird to try and approximate FKA Twigs <laughs> well okay yeah but I, they're perhaps both products of a sound that was burgeoning and maybe one took to that sound better than the other i don't know what, if there's any overlap in the production team behind it mm-hmm. well i think arca was actually involved on the fka twigs record i thought, was, uh, I thought arca was only involved in the album i didn't think he was involved in this i'm pretty sure he's not involved in this no i th- oh maybe arca was heavily involved in the album i don't know yeah, oh, yeah, album, maybe you're yeah. right yeah so arca was involved in the fka twigs but which came out in 2014. I don't know how I feel about it. That's that's. I guess that's what I'm really saying. I thought there was a bit of F- FK Twigs and Bankhead as well. Yeah. And yeah, I thought that was combined with a kind of really banal jazz chord thing of like some of the kind of late 90s soul albums um, she does that a few times there's a couple of songs I've got a proper 90s vibe our vocals definitely very R&B 90s like throughout which is sometimes it well, hooks sometimes it doesn't hook that's pure marmite man mm-hmm. and really doesn't work for me um, cut for me the, the, the title track that's a really good song um, was decent mm-hmm. 
it's, it's, it's fancy. Yeah. That's probably the, the most yeah. uh, resounding impression I got of it. It's like, oh, that's very cleverly put together. And yeah. I think it's all right. You can tell on that track particularly that our voice, our voice isn't quite there yet. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, that's certainly something that she's not ever going to be like a soul balladeer or whatever. Mm. But I think yeah, that actually works in its favour in that song, I think, because it kind of accentuates a lot of the subtlety of the of the production the beats, which were obviously there beforehand, and it wasn't something she'd asked to happen, you know, so I think she's maybe played around that to kind of, she knows her own vocal limitations, so she can do something a bit different with it, as opposed to try and be a big disco voice diva, which she could, she sometimes sort of moves towards, but obviously doesn't ever really quite get there. I think the thing that when it clicked the most for me, when it seemed like the track had been written with the vocals in mind, which is impressive given that it seems like it wasn't, mm-hmm. was Keep It Cool, the eighth track. That's one of the first ones I heard. It wasn't the first, but it was one of the first. Yeah. Um, I still think it's by far the best tune on this collection. Um, the best hooks in it, best use of synth that's not too subdued, it's not too subtle, it's just a little bit gutsy. Um, the percussion on it was really interesting. I, th- I think that song still stands out and it, I'm not exactly sure what it is about that. Again, it feels more alternative mm-hmm. and less kind of cliched than kind of... Well, it's interesting, that's produced by Jam City, who does really cool electronic stuff, but also... His stuff is quite often a lot more influenced by Prince and funk and stuff like that. And also like atmosphere, like DJ shadowy sort of trip hoppy stuff than a lot of the other producers here who are just way more sort of trappy or, you know, hip hop beats and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, maybe you're picking up on that slightly. That, yeah, that he's one, a big, he's a, he's a fan of like slightly more organic sounds. That one definitely worked better. Yeah, for it's me. also got samples of dog barking and I'm pretty sure a porn film samples in there as well. <laughs> There's definitely moaning from a, oh, I've seen a porn film in there somewhere. Or maybe it's just somebody moaning at the dog barking. Possibly. Yeah. It took me a while ago, it's a dog barking and it is, it's a bit chopped and screwed, but it's definitely a dog barking. It's a bit strange. Maybe somebody shagging a dog. Could be. Could, could well be. Maybe, maybe that's a vibe. Keep just the tone keep it, high. Just keep it cool. Just keep it cool and, you know, the dog will get off and have a good time. At so, this yeah. point, I have to be honest, I've ran out of the, the motivation to write notes about any other songs apart from track nine, Send Me Out. Yeah. The cattle strings and synths, man, are so so cool in that song. I just wrote Shitney Houston. (laughs) (laughs) You are incorrect. I really like it. It does, I mean, to kind of echo a lot of something we were saying earlier on, it does feel as though she's singing to a totally different beat in this song than the actual song itself, but the actual production is great. Like this, this, like I said, the cattle strings and synths and the hand claps are, it's just a totally strange atmosphere, which I really liked about it. It was like, I wasn't expecting that and that's kind of cool. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like overall, I think I've given you what I feel about this record. I don't think it's a perfect album in any way, but I think it's a really interesting rounded listen that I really like to go back to. It's a really interesting point in the last 10 years of both electronic music and of R&B. I think it was genuinely influential in terms of both sound and also in terms of black women just doing shit that is really, you know, sort of doing whatever the fuck they want. And also in terms of, you know, bookers and press picking up on it and accepting them, you know, I I have, I'm putting on my nimble shoes here and I'm not saying that black women weren't doing really interesting things before this, but they weren't getting noticed as much. And you never even tried to say her second name. It's a, uh, it's a Mizanin Krantis ni Christos. Mizanin Christos. Mizanin Christos, yeah. So, I mean, we didn't actually go into her background, but she's second generation Ethiopian American brought up in the Washington, New DC. England area, uh, Maryland and Washington, D.C. Yeah. And she sort of sang jazz standards uh, after university, came from a kind of musical family. Um, you never even mentioned that she also sang in a prog metal band with yeah. Tosin Abasi, who was in Animals as Leaders. Yeah, and she was also, she spent some time singing in a punk band as well. She's kind of done bits and bobs of everything. She's like a really interesting character, like, and I, she was also very interested in race and like s- some of the stuff she talks about. She was always thinking, how did white people take over the world? I just could not get off this question. It consumed me as a child. 
you know, she was looking around her going, how the fuck have they ended up with this? <laughs> and, you know, and in terms of like black people in art, white people don't understand that the reason black people are so good is not always that we're necessarily more artistically inclined. It's just because we don't have the space to suck. You know, we won't be accepted if we're bad. So we, ha- you know, which is a really interesting way of looking at it. I, yeah, think, no. I think I think a lot of black artists are absolutely fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of them. And they're so rich mm. and they're fucking terrible. Well, but, I know that's it. I mean, you were always could be difficult to win over. Hey, uh, Mark, <laughs> did you like take me apart better? Um, I did. I did. I think I felt more together. Yeah. You know, and I, I like that um, more than this. However, as, as a person that is uh, often nominated in complete things, yeah. kind of slightly broken things for this discography. Yeah. Uh, this record made me think. Yeah. Which sometimes doesn't really happen very much. It made me curious about what was happening. Yeah. Sometimes you can listen to a record and you're like, oh, I get that. And I, I still like it. I still love it mm-hmm. in some, some cases. But this one made me think about think about music and the, well, the music on it in a slightly different way. Yeah. Is it our best record? No. <laughs> but it's just far enough away from the cheesy 90s R&B that my mum loves that yeah. I kind of dig it for that reason. Yeah, totally. I can hear way too much of that for comfort. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I was about to say, this woman's only put out one proper album. Plenty, 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 plenty time for her to like find a sound that I think feels a bit more, you know, uh, better. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, thanks. Um, right, so, I, I mean, I, I don't want it in, but... You know, David does, Mark. Um, I'm going to back you, Dave. Thanks. Fucking coward. Coward? <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part, so. <sighs> Jesus. Right, um, so uh, you may have noticed there's been no Nexus so far, and that's because Mark killed it last week. Truly, um, de- truly dead. dead. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not having it back. And we're not apologetic about it either. previous form. What we've decided, and it's another wee bit of audience interaction, after this episode, we want you to tweet us, Facebookers, email us, mm-hmm. phone us if you want, but I will want to know how you got our number. <laughs> um, and we want you to randomly suggest a name. Just a human being. A, a person, it can be, no, not even a human, oh, yeah, like it a, a character, a human being. real, unreal, aka fictional. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want. Uh, to that end, obviously because Fritz's fantastic Foo Fighters Nexus jingle is now uh, consigned to the dustbin of history. Mm-hmm. Um, we asked Fritz if he would do his honours and pick the first one for this week. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Kalela and we are going to Nexus her to whoever Fritz picks, which in this case was Gollum. Gollum. He's been off the <laughs> fucking reservation already. An unreal character um, from... Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So to that, uh, so we have to get from Kalela to Gollum. Yeah. You can see the pattern. So you know, in, in future, if we pick Slayer, someone could pick Bobby Gar- Davro. Bobby, Bobby Davro. Yeah, that's a good Garfield one. or whatever yeah. you want, and we will have to deal with the consequences. So, so from now on, the Nexus will be a different person, as chosen by you every week. Uh, and what we'll do is, at the end of this episode, we'll announce the next album, mm-hmm. and we are going to pick. Yeah, uh, we've actually had it sent in by our last interviewee, Ben Power, and these guys don't know it yet, but mm-hmm. I'm going to tell them. Cool. Who the next Nexus is. And then, but let's do this Nexus now. Yeah. So this is, but we need a jingle. I'm going to throw something in here that right. is just going to be completely of my choosing. Great. Who's first? Who's first? This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in this store is, for us? Good choice. Uh, Good so choice. I go first, don't I? Because it's my record. You go first. So Kalela, as we have mentioned on her hallucinogen EP and on Take Me Apart the uh, record, had some production help from Arca. Mm-hmm. Arca is a producer from Venezuela, I believe. I think that's right. And they have done 
production duties for Bjork, I believe, on the last two Bjork records. Bjork yep. is a big fan. Bjork fucking loves Arca. Uh, Bjork, I don't know if you remember, played the inaugural Connect Music Festival in Inverary in Scotland I, in 2007. I heard talk, yeah. And also on that lineup were Beastie Boys, Regina Spector, um, a Go Team, Modest Mouse, Echo and the Bunny Men, Jesus and the Mary Chain, and uh, Mogwai. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, imagine a festival like that in Scotland now. Yeah. That truly would not happen. No. Nope. Mogwai uh, recorded several records, but I'm pretty sure uh, Ten Rapid and Mogwai Young Team with a man called Paul Savage, who was in the Delgados and now is the producer and runs Chem 19, Chem 19 Studios. Uh, he also recorded an album or two by a band called The Phantom Band. Mm. The Phantom Band, their drummer is called Ian Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> and funnily enough, funnily enough, he's my cousin. <laughs> so that's, is that the first time I've got a relation into a nexus? I think so. So Ian Stewart also plays in a band uh, called Fit to Work. Mm-hmm. And in that band is a man called Daniel Firth. Uh, Ian and Daniel and the other two members of Fit to Work actually are all from Orkney. Daniel Firth, along with being in Fit to Work, punk band, is the bass guitarist in Cradle of Filth. So he's the only member of Cradle of Filth from Orkney. Uh, <laughs> Cradle of Filth, uh, back in the day when they were actually a black metal band, played Five Dates in Germany with a band called Gorgoroth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Gorgoroth are named after a plateau in The Return of the King in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just the big shitty bit around Mount Doom. And uh, Gollum, <laughs> is, uh, Gollum, is in, <laughs> Gollum is in Lord of the Rings. So there you are. That's my nexus. You have done it. I got to Gollum. Well done. Mark, Thanks. You're, you're I. So uh, I'll go, I guess, because I think we're both... Kind of the same in terms of five jumps, each. jumps yeah. yeah. So Clela toured with and is very good friends with Solange, as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also recently collaborated on a Kelvin Klein Uh-oh. advertising campaign. Oh, Kelvin Klein, that's the Glasgow <laughs> brand. <laughs> Kelvin Klein. <laughs> so when you get the baddest. Yeah. <laughs> so only, only, only Kelvin Klein, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> KK1. <laughs> Solange is sister of Beyonce, of course, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And her first acting role was in. Uh, Austin Powers Gold Member and uh, Austin Powers Gold Member has a cameo by none other than Mr. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg directed the film The Adventures of Tintin, which was not only produced by Peter Jackson but was also animated by Peter Jackson's Weta Animations Company. So not only did Peter Jackson produce and direct mm-hmm. and write Lord of the Rings, but his animation company also provided the CGI for the character of Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Trilogy. Great. Next is complete. Uh, okay, uh, Kalela uh, did a 2014 advert for CK1 with Dev Hines and Soko. And also, as Mark mentioned, a 2017 advert for CK Pants or something like that with Solange. Calvin Klein, the company's head of women's wear, is Francisco Costa, a famous fashion designer who designed Michelle Obama's outfit for the 2009 Nobel Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1922 Nobel Prize. <laughs> uh, Whoa. <laughs> That's a good jump. Going back, was it? Uh, yeah. uh, you know, the Nobel Prize uh, right. it went to Mr. Niels Bohr. Uh, Niels Bohr was a, a physicist, physicist for his work in quantum mechanics. By the way, as a reward for getting that Nobel Peace Prize, Carlsberg built a pipeline from their factory all the way to Niels Bohr's house and a tap in his kitchen so he could go and turn on beer whenever he wanted. Is that true? It is true, from the Carlsberg factory. How far away does he live from the factory? <laughs> I have no idea, but that is a cool I mean, it depends if it was fact. export or just Carlsberg, because <laughs> if it was just Carlsberg, that's not a prize. Well, it's 1922, so, you but, know. Stand, I mean, fair play. Standards were different. I'm jealous. Uh, but yeah, Car- uh, Carlsberg had a debate with Einstein. No, <laughs> <laughs> Niels Bohr. Uh, had a series of debates with Einstein. Einstein was famously really resistant to the, the idea of quantum mechanics because it messed with some of his own theorems. And also Niels Bohr actually worked in the Manhattan Project developing the atomic bomb, That's which right, yeah. ultimately only really went ahead in no small part thanks to a letter that Einstein had written to President Roosevelt at the time. Einstein, in 1939, 
helped a guy called Theodore Gottlieb escape from Austria to the USA uh, after Theodore Gottlieb had already uh, been in Dachau prison camp uh, where he'd had to sign over his entire family's fortune for one Reichsmark. Theodore Gottlieb's stage name was Brother Theodore and he pioneered a style of comedy, I think it was the 60s in the States, called Stand Up Tragedy, which was like a stream of consciousness monologue rambling thing that was pretty grim but apparently really hilarious. Theodore Gottlieb, a.k.a. Brother Theodore, in 1977 voiced the character of Gollum in the musical animated version of The Hobbit made by Topcraft Studios, which was a precursor to Studio Ghibli. Boom, there he is. Nice one. Great work. So, yeah, that's how we're going to do the Nexus. So, again, please start sending in your suggestions. Now we need as many names and we'll stick them all in a hat and we'll keep it for posterity and we'll give you a shout out every time we pick your name. Yes. And that it will be your reward for humor on us. Um, so, so we need to choose an album and a Nexus for next week. Mm-hmm. So the album, Mark. I'm going to go very controversial and go for the White Album by Weezer. I didn't even know that was a thing. I know. Who knew? But I mean, a Weezer episode. So we're going to get that. But the White Album. Really fucking stuck in here. You said the Beatles earlier. Yeah, I know. Well, as as promised, Benjamin Power, uh, on the back of his interview with us, sent us in a nomination. We gave Ben two, actually, because Uh he's a guest. Um, And for this one, without knowing what album, he has chosen... Dionysus, the Greek god of wine and ritual madness. <laughs> I, I mean, think I, I think that's going to get there pretty quickly. I think I can get there pretty quickly as well. Just, <laughs> yeah. just thinking about it right now. All, All right. right. Great well, work. Cool. Great. So that's us. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Oh, by the way, we oh. didn't, didn't even mention Game of Thrones. Oh, good. Good. Well, it happened. It. it happened. It was great or not. Depends who you ask. Bye. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs>